right, I'll tell you, I like that video. I don't know about you guys, but I, I just like that video. I'm glad we have one more opportunity to, to watch that and, uh, and hope you're ready to hear one last message from the book of Jonah. So take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Jonah. All right, so Jonah is where we're going to be at today, and we're, we've been in this series for the past couple of, past couple of weeks. Um, you know, the inter- interesting thing about next week is we're going to have a, a sermon dealing with missions, and it's not going to be from me. If you've looked at the bulletin, we're going to have Pastor Jorge here, and, and he and his wife are going to be here, and uh, he's one of the missionaries that we support. He's with the North American Mission Board, uh, planning a church, uh, not in Chiral, not in fact, not even in the United States, but in Puerto Rico. So, so we, you're going to get a chance to hear him. And I know it's a holiday weekend, so we kind of thought, well, one or two things. I, you know how it is with the holidays. Some people go off on holiday, and, and we get that, and we want you to be with your families. But for those of us that are staying, it's going to stay here. It's going to be kind of a unique day because he's going to be speaking uh, from God's Word, and um, I think you'll be blessed uh, with that. He and his family are a sweet, sweet family. But today we're going to be focusing, as we wind up the book of Jonah, on this particular subject, the grace to forgive. Uh, In every message that we've been in in this series, we've looked at some aspect of the grace of God, and I thought it's really, really appropriate for us to finish up by looking on this subject, and that is the subject of forgiveness. You can never expect God to do something big in your life, or in the life of your church, or in the life of our city, the life of our nation if we are harboring unforgiveness in our heart. So it's just really important for the church of Jesus Christ to imitate Jesus when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. So we're going to be looking at that particular subject today. Hey, in 1880, I know y'all remember it like it was yesterday, right? 1880, (laughs) James Garfield was elected president. And and I'll just be honest with you, there's not a lot I know about James Garfield other than one thing that you probably know as well. But James Garfield, before he was president, was actually kind of like us and like some of you. He was a lay preacher. And not only was he a lay preacher, he was, um, he was president of a Christian school. And then he got elected president of the United States as well. So he, he was like us in the fact that he was a child of God. You know, he was a believer in Jesus. But six months into his presidency, what you probably know about, like I know about, is that he was shot. Uh, in fact, he was shot in the back with a revolver. And... Um, and he survived for a, a little bit, but when, when the accident happened, when, when, the, when the shot took place and, it, and he was shot in his back, uh, immediately doctors that were on the scene and others tried to, to help the president. One of the things that they did, a doctor on the scene took, Travis, this is just so weird, he took his pinky finger and dug into the wound trying to find the bullet, uh, which is not, not good, right? But he was trying to find that. And, and then other people there took a silver tip probe, whatever that looks like, and, and they went in the wound as well, just looking for that bullet. You know, in my mind, I'm not a doctor in that sense, but, but I can just imagine that bullet you know, just being pushed for, further into the man's torso. Well, he survived and went all the way back to Washington, D.C., and, and he just got weaker and weaker and more and more sick. People were coming from all the way, uh, you know, all different places of the United States trying to take care of him. Uh, they even called Alexander Graham Bell who was in the middle of inventing the telephone. They actually called him to see if he could somehow find the bullet. Nobody could find this bullet. And he survived for a couple of months. Uh, He went through the month of July, and he went through the month of August. But when September came, uh, he finally passed away, all because they couldn't find this bullet. But this is what they discovered. The bullet's not what killed him. What killed him was the infection of all those people just probing into his body trying to find 
that bullet. I share that with you because sometimes in life, <laughs> people act like people and we don't act like Jesus. And sometimes in life, it will seem like the people you love the most will just shoot you in the back. Hopefully not literally. But they will shoot you in the back with words or with actions. And it's almost as if a bullet has struck you because you never saw it coming. And it leaves you with a wound that's really, really deep. And I wonder how many of us can say, hey, been there. I've been the recipient of a wound, of somebody hurting me deeply, either through words or through actions. And not only did it hurt me, but, but maybe it hurt my family even more so than me. And, and I just want to share something with you that, that I've learned over, over the years, and it's something I've continually tried to learn, this subject of unforgiveness, which, which is this. If, if I were to hold unforgiveness in my heart, or if you were to hold unforgiveness in your heart, it's an infection that's worse than the initial wound. And there again, I think many of you can say, yeah, I think you're right on target there, preacher. There are people in churches all across America, and they're holding on to unforgiveness in such a way that it's causing an infection not only in their life, but in the life of their church. And if you wonder why the church isn't doing anything, it's because they're harboring unforgiveness in their heart. So I want us, as we finish up our subject here in our sermon series on Jonah, I want us to look at Jonah chapter 3 and 4, in particular verses there. And I want you to notice with me how God forgives and how through faith in Jesus we can forgive even the ones that hurt us deeply. And before we look at that, listen to what some other, some other leaders have said uh, through the passages of time. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I've got to be in the right frame of mind to read anything by C.S. Lewis because he's a little bit over me, but, um, but C.S. Lewis once says, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Now, trying to forgive yourself is like trying to shake your, your other hand, right? It's just kind of, you just can't do that. It's like trying to shake your hand there. We aren't called to forgive ourselves. Listen, we aren't called to forgive ourselves. Our job is to confess our sin and to receive God's forgiveness. But still a good word by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Martin Luther said that forgiveness is God's command. Uh, I love Spurgeon. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, uh, put it this way. He said, God will spare the sinner because he did not spare his son, his, his son. God can pass by your transgressions because he laid them upon his only begotten son nearly 2,000 years ago. Charles Spurgeon, a man that many call the prince of preachers. And then Charles Stanley, uh, recently retired pastor of First Baptist Atlanta, said, Unforgiveness says you wrong me and you owe me. Forgiveness says I will no longer hold against you what you have done against me. Hey, here's the thought. If Jesus could forgive us, who in the world do we think we are if we can't forgive others? All right? I'm not going to dance to that tune, but I do hear it, don't y'all? <laughs> so there again, if Jesus can forgive us, who do we think we are if we can't forgive others? Hey, let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, I love you and I thank you for this day that you've given us. Man, what a beautiful day to come into your church. And Lord, thank you for your grace and for your love that makes us clean. Lord, thank you that your grace reaches us and teaches us to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that if someone here harbors unforgiveness in their heart, that they can leave here today different, having released uh, those feelings of hardness and bitterness and resentment. And they receive the forgiveness that not only you offer, 
or that they are willing to give forgiveness to someone that's hurt them. So speak to us through your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen if you do. All right, so Jonah chapter 3, pick, the, pick up there with me, and you're probably there, and I'm not, so let me turn to Jonah 3. Uh, always good to have your offering there ready to mark your Bible, so thank you all for giving to the offering as the Lord instructs us to. So let's look at Jonah chapter 3, and let's just notice, if you will, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah how many times? Second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, uh, you know where Jonah is. We've been kind of trucking through Jonah here. It's, it's a very, very short book. It's only two pages here in my Bible, four chapters. So you know where he's been. He's been on a Mediterranean sea cruise in the belly, in the gastrointestinal system of a giant fish. If you want to call it a whale, call it a whale. But the Bible says it's a, it's a giant fish. And this fish could stomach Jonah no more. So he regurgitated Jonah. He threw him back up on dry land. And sometime after that, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a, a second time. Now, the first time was in verse 1 of chapter 1. So it's really easy for you to look over here in verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it tells us who Jonah's daddy happened to be. And then verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. So the first time the word of God comes to Jonah is in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, and then we come here to chapter 3, and we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad there's a second time? I'm glad there's a third time, too, and a fourth time, and on and on and on I can go. And from the belly of that fish, God heard Jonah's cry. He heard Jonah's prayer, just like he heard Hannah crying out, uh, you know, Lord, send me a child. God chose to answer her prayer. God chose. He didn't have to. He heard but he chose to answer not only Hannah's prayer in the Old Testament that we read about, but we, so you can tell where I am in my Bible study, but he also chose to, to answer Jonah's prayer as well. And then it's like God erased everything, and everything was as it was at the beginning. You know, the Bible says that God does not hold our sin against us. He forgives it, and he remembers it no more. He's still omniscient. I mean, he's all-knowing. He knows what we did. He knows what we do. But in a, in a judicial sense, he doesn't hold that sin against us yet there's still consequences y'all with me so then we come here and we see the word of the lord comes to jonah uh, the, the second time and then pick up with me at verse two arise go to the great city so the message hasn't changed what god wants him to do hasn't changed go to nineveh that great city call out against it the message that i tell you so jonah rose and went to nineveh according to the word of the lord now nineveh was an exceedingly great city sound familiar Three days' journey in breadth, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, destroyed, wiped out. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. This is the word of God for the people of God gathered here today. I want you to notice some things that we see here in the passage about how God forgives and who he forgives and what we can learn about the subject. Uh, forgiveness. First, notice with me the message that Jonah delivered. The message that Jonah delivered. He comes to Nineveh and he calls out, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, destroyed. 40 more days, Nineveh will perish. And this time, Jonah obeyed the message that God had given him. I'm thankful that when I think of our church, we're a church on mission. I know with COVID and stuff, it kind of stopped some of the things we do from a missional standpoint here in the city, but we did some other really cool things 
in the city to show the city and to show our town that, hey, we're here for you and we love you. I mean, man, we, we were true Baptists. We had food drives and stuff like that, and we took food to people. I'm even thankful I ate a Eucanita pie and stuff like that every now and then. When some of y'all baked those cookies. I had to sample them before I let them go into the city. All right? Just want you to know. I, just, I mean, I, I love the city. Just want to make sure we're feeding them well. But, um, but, but here's, this is a, a wonderful picture of, of the missional heart of God. And when you look at this message, you think, oh, great time of day. He wants to wipe Nineveh off, off the face of the earth. Uh, well, yeah, but, but think this as well. This is, a, this is a missional message. And he's sending Jonah, a missionary, to this place that Jonah had no, he didn't want to go there. That was not on his radar. To go hang out with people that were so different from him. People that, hey, let's call it what it is, he hated. He didn't want to hang out with those people. But yet, God's missionary heart just shows forth here. And he sends this missionary prophet, Jonah, with a particular message. And he didn't send him to Israel. He didn't send Jonah to Judah. He sent him some 550 miles away, as far as he can go to, or not really, that was, that was Tarsus. But he sends them to Nineveh here. And the people of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, were so far from God spiritually. If anybody needed to hear a message from God, it was them. I mean, they, they were ruthless, these people from Nineveh. They were violent people, and they were under the condemnation of God for their sins. So the Bible says, hey, God's sending Jonah to the least of these. He's sending Jonah to a people that really needed to get right with God. And there again, look at verse 3. So Jonah arose, and he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. That little phrase, three days' journey, if you mark your Bibles, there's a lot of cool little phrases here in chapters 3 and 4 that you need to look at. But if you mark your Bibles, that's a really interesting phrase there, three days' journey. It can mean one or two things. One, it can mean the whole circumference of the city. Uh, there's some people that say, oh, that's how wide the city was. That's how large it was. It would take you three days just to go through it. But many Bible scholars, I think, believe this. They believe that it would take three days just to walk through the city here in Nineveh. That's how great of a city it was. In fact, the Bible says it is an exceedingly great city. Now, what's interesting about that phrase, exceedingly great, is the Hebrew word that's used there is the word Elohim, the name for God. That is telling us, this is God telling us, this is, this is a God-sized city. This is an exceedingly great city, and Jonah, you've got a God-sized task before you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be giving you the words to say, but I just need you to be obedient, and I need you to go and pronounce these words. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he goes into the city, and I'm telling you what, he had to look different. Jonah did. I mean, he's just been in the belly of that fish. How many days? Yeah, three, three days. Yeah, three days. All right, I'm just making sure. Y'all been listening? It's in the Bible. All right. So he's been in there in the junk. So he's got to look different. He's probably as white as white can be. No suntan and lotion is ever going to help him with that. He can't lay out enough now that guy's lay out. But anyway. So, I mean, he's just as white as he can possibly be, possibly burned, marred for the rest of his life. I think physically because of where he's been. His language was definitely different. Y'all think we sound different? I don't think we sound too terribly different, but it's kind of funny the few times I've been up north, and I don't really try to, I'm just talking like I talk to you guys. Do I sound that southern? Apparently to the people up there I do, because I get this question a lot whenever we go to little restaurants up there. Where are you from? I'm from South Carolina, but uh, apparently I've got a dialect. I know we all have certain dialects, but he had to sound different. He had to look different. I mean, he, he, he was dressed like a Hebrew, so he was dressing differently than the people of Assyria dressed. He just stood out. 
So this man that stood out, this man that was marred physically, that spoke different than them, that dressed differently than them, had this really weird message. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Forty more days and you'll be wiped off the face of the earth. Those are hard words, wouldn't you think? If I was the people in Nineveh, I probably would, unless God got a hold of my heart, I'm probably thinking, who is this guy? He's crazy. What a message. I mean, who does he think he is? Forty more days and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Hard words but word from a loving God. You see, God's message of judgment is real, but his message of judgment is always graceful of love. He's got a grace that gives people like us, people like the people of Nineveh, time to get right with God. There's a verse of Scripture I want to draw your attention to, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You ever wonder why God waits? Uh, I tell you what, I'm glad God waited for me. Uh, why, why did he give Nineveh 40 days? Because God is merciful. Why did God give Nineveh 40 days? Because his message is merciful and his character is kind and he is a patient God, but understand that doesn't make the message any less urgent. The gospel message is a message of urgency. It's the message that we need to urgently hear. It's a message we need to urgently respond to. It's the message we need to urgently share. I don't know how many days I've got left. It could be 40 days. It could be 40 years. I kind of like the sound of that, maybe. Uh, it could be 40 minutes. But you're right there with me. And we've got the best message this world needs to hear. And we need to make, be faithful in sharing it. That's the message that Jonah delivered. It's an urgent message. But then secondly, notice with me the mercy that God extended. And if your Bibles are still open, look at verses 5 and following. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. That's not Armani, all right? Nothing like that. And he sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation, and he published this proclamation throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God, see, they don't know God. And so he's saying, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So, so the message begins to go around Nineveh. People heard and people believed. They began to put on sackcloth and they began to fast. I mean, they're just trying as best they can, humanly speaking, to get God to notice them. So they put on sackcloth. That's the clothing of a slave. Sackcloth is the clothing of someone that, that's poor, and they can't afford anything else. That's all they can, they can get on. That's all they can wear. And it's almost like the people are saying, hey, Lord, we're your servants. We're wearing sackcloth now. We're trying to get your attention. We're changing. We belong to you. We're your slaves. We're your servants. They just, they're doing all they can from a human perspective to get right with God. And then this king of Nineveh heard the message, and he's the king of all the Assyrian Empire. And he kind of responds to a way that to me is kind of comical because sometimes when I read Scripture, I kind of smile. And this is one of those places, at least when I read it initially. The king of Nineveh hears the message. And he gets off on his throne, and he sits down in ashes. One can only hope they're cold. All right? That's just how I read Scripture sometimes, and I kind of smile. And he issues this decree while he's sitting down in ashes. I can picture him saying something like this. Folks, let's take this seriously. 
we got to get right with this God that this weird man's talking about. This, what's his name, Jonah? we got to get right with this God or we're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Not only you, but all your livestock, all your, even your cows. Nothing can eat throughout the whole city. I mean, that's how far they went. That's to the extreme they went. And they didn't know really anything about God. They didn't know how to approach him. They didn't know how to come to him. So they did what they knew to do. They fasted and they put on sackcloth. Notice two significant words, if you will, there in verse 5. The first is, is the word believe. The people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't know a lot about him. But they heard the message from the prophet. And they believed in his God. Look at verse 10. Here's another one. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their wickedness, God relented of the disaster he said he would do, and he did not do it. So if you mark your Bibles, you ought to mark the word believed and then the word relented because the people believed God and God relented. I love that. They believed and God relented. They believed so much they turned from their sin, and God saw that. God saw that they were truly repentant. And he relented of what he said he was going to do. That word relented means to change your mind. Now, hey, we talked about this a little bit last week. How in the world can God change his mind? How can he do that? I mean, we thought one of his characteristics is that he's immutable. That is one of God's characteristics. Just like he's a loving God, he's a faithful God, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. But yeah, he's also immutable. It's part of his characteristics. His word never changes. God never changes. He's faithful to the promises that he makes. But some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, it really does sound... Like God's changed his mind here. Well, I think this is, a, this is a good word. At least I think. God never changes his mind when it comes to sin and how we deal with sin, or even how he deals with sin. But when we change our minds about sin, God changes how he deals with us. Think about that. Let that sit in your crock pot for a while and let it stew and simmer for a little bit. But when we change our minds about sin, God changes how he deals with us. God hates sin. But he sure does love the sinner. When we change our mind about sin, when repentance truly takes place in our life, and that's what's happened in the life of the people of Nineveh, God changed how he dealt with the people of Nineveh. It's kind of like a thermometer. You know, when that mercury goes up, all right, y'all know what, what it means for the weather outside. When that mercury goes up, the thermometer is just reading, hey, it's getting a little bit hotter. And when the mercury goes down, it's going to be a little bit cooler. The thermometer never really changes. It changes based on the environment around it. God's character never changes when it comes to sin. But when our environment of our heart is different, how he deals with us is what changes. So we see here the mercy of God. And, then, and that's chapter 3. And then we move here into chapter 4. And I want you to notice with me the misery that Jonah felt. He is not a happy person at this time. Here's what... Jonah 4 shows me. Jonah 4 shows me that the Bible is God's word and not man's. And the reason I can say that was that if, if this book ended at chapter 3, I could say, hey, this could be, this is, this is how a man, how a woman would have written this story to end here. But, but no, it, it just shows us that the hero of the Bible is not Jonah, but God. History and logic attest that surely Jonah wrote this book because there's, there's only conversations that Jonah would have known he would have had with God and with others. There's only circumstances that show that this is surely from Jonah. This is his eyewitness encounter. This is his personal story. Only Jonah knew, for example, what he prayed there in the belly of the fish. But when we come to chapter 4, definitely this is a book about God and not about man. 
Because if it were a book about man instead of being a book about God, it would have ended this way. Jonah would be saying, hey, man, I was running from God. I got right with God. God used me to go to the people of Nineveh. Thousands of people got saved. Amen. To God be the glory. If man had written the book, that's how it probably would have ended. But that's not how it ended. God writes differently. God shows us every side, every angle. All the dirty secrets we've got in the closet, God just reveals everything whenever he writes the book. So we come here to chapter 4, and Jonah is just miserable. So look at verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly that God relented. And he was what? He, the Bible says he was angry. We say, what, what displeased? He's a prophet of God for crying out loud. What displeased him? The fact that God forgave. And the fact that God relented, and, and because God did that, Jonah was really upset with God. You say, how upset was he? Well, the, 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 the word here uh, in the Greek, actually, not the Hebrew, but the Greek here means that he was burning with his anger here. He was so angry, it's like he was burning. Look at verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew that you were merciful. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew, God, that you're steadfast uh, in your love and that you relent from disaster. Hey, can I tell you something? That's a beautiful picture of our God. Oh, don't miss that. Beautiful picture of God here in verse 2. So it's like Jonah is saying, I know all these things about you, Lord, and that's why I'm so mad. That's why I'm so burning on the inside. I don't like that part about you, God. It's all right if you forgive me, but not them. Why would he forgive them? I've been with them 40 days. They're worse than I thought. I can't believe some of the things that they're doing, and yet you want to forgive them and relent from your wrath? I'm angry, Lord, that you haven't punished them. Hey, you know what? It's, um, it's one thing to be angry with God when something bad happens to a good person. It's another thing to be angry with God when something good happens to a bad person. Somehow we feel more justified, and we feel more right, and it's almost as if we're saying, God, if I were you, I'd wipe them off the face of the earth. How could you forgive them? Hey, let me, let me just ask you this. Who, who do you know in your life that's hurt you? Or someone you love? And you thought about them, and you thought, you know what? They're, they're never worthy of my forgiving them. Can I tell you something about God? God looks at them, and he's already ready to forgive them. So Jonah is really miserable here, and we come down to verse 4, and God asks him, do you do well to be angry? I mean, Jonah, why, in the, why is it right for you to be angry? Is this the right thing? Is this, are you imitating me here? Are you emulating me here? Is this the right thing to do to them with the mercy that I've shown you? I could have left you in the fish. And the Bible says that what Jonah does is he goes east of the city and he's just waiting for the fire of God to fall upon Nineveh. He's thinking, surely God's going to bring his wrath. But then we come to verse 6 here. Y'all with me? Say amen if you are. So we read here in verse 6 that the Lord appointed a plant and, it, and he made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And y'all know the rest of the story. The plant withered and died. Hey, get this. The fish that swallowed Jonah <laughs> wasn't the thing that really ate at him. But what ate at him was the worm. Think about that. Great fish really didn't, really didn't eat him. But that little tiny worm did. Got all over him. <laughs> That's really the miracle, isn't it? And God, God sent this worm to destroy the plant. 
We come to verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He asked that he might die. He said, it's better for me to live than to die. How miserable can Jonah get? I mean, he's just so angry that he's miserable. He's harboring unforgiveness in his heart. What's he angry about again? He's angry that God will forgive his enemy. His unforgiving spirit had hardened his heart. He had a resentful spirit. Hey, there again, nothing does more harm to a church than church people that harbor unforgiveness in their heart. Nothing does more damage to a church. And when you or I hold on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment, it's like we got a worm that's just eating at us. It's been said that hanging on to an unforgiving spirit is like drinking poison every day, hoping that it's going to do damage to the person you don't like. And all it's doing is that it's damaging you. So Jonah's poisoning his own heart here, and he's miserable with it. And One last thing I want you to notice. One last thing. I know this is kind of a serious message, and rightly so. But notice with me, lastly, the mistake that God corrected. Verse 9, God came to Jonah yet again and says, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if you were in a part of that conversation? Jonah, you're angry over a plant. A plant. A plant. <laughs> and Jonah's like, yes, I'm so angry I can die over a, a plant. <laughs> and God said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't even make it grow, Jonah. It, it came up in one night. It perished in a night. And, oh, don't miss this. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and there's also a lot of cattle there. That little phrase, this is good. That little phrase, not knowing their right hand from their left, Y'all know anybody that doesn't know their right hand from their left? Most all of us adults know our right hand from our left, right? Right? But you know, y'all know who doesn't? Little kids. And it's as if God is saying, Jonah, there's, there's, there's 120,000 little kiddos in Nineveh, and they don't know their right hand from the left. Hey, sanctity of life, y'all think that's important to God? You better believe it is. 120,000 people. Little children that don't know their right hand from their left. So if that's the case here, scholars estimate that the population of Nineveh exceeded 600,000 people. An exceedingly great city. I mean, and God cared for this city. He had pity on the people there. He had pity on the kids. He had pity on their parents. And God is saying, Jonah, you care about the plant. I care about people. And that's how the book ends. Now, I'll tell you what. If I paid money to watch a movie like that and that's how it ended, I want my money back. I'm kind of fuming. Unless I had free popcorn and Coke. I mean, I'm, that's how it ends. Have y'all ever watched a movie or television show and it ends in a way that you weren't expecting? I mean, good grief. I'm kind of, I pout for a little bit after that. Uh, that's not how I wanted this book or this story to end. And, and, but that's how the book ends. And it kind of ends on a downbeat. I like an upbeat. It kind of ends on, I like a happy ending, but it ends on a, on a sad ending here, a terrible ending. I mean, it's like Jonah don't get it. And he's a, he's a preacher. We see him in chapter 1 running from God. Then chapter 2, he's running to God. Chapter 3, he's running for God. Chapter 4, he's running against God. A man of God. Hmm. And that's how it ends. But it's that where the Bible story ends. Hmm. You know, I can imagine um, if I lived in Jonah's day, maybe 
Maybe I will run into Jonah at some little town up in the mountains there of northern Israel. And if I were to see him one day maybe in a coffee shop, I, I, and, and if I was bold enough, I probably would say, Hey, Jonah, gosh, I can't believe that's you. I know your picture from the Jerusalem Post. I, I can't believe you're, you're in this coffee shop here. Hey, can I buy you some coffee? Sure, sure, you can buy me some coffee. Hey, Jonah, I hear they got great fish here. Can I buy you some lunch? No, me and, the, me and fish have an agreement. I don't eat them, they don't eat me. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, Jonah, i got to ask you, what, what have you been up to? I mean, I've read the book. I'm, quite frankly, I don't like how it ended. What you been up to, Jonah? Well, I've, I've been doing whatever God wants me to do. Ah. Oh, what's that like for you? I mean, well, I, I go wherever God tells me to go. Ah. And, and when you go there, Jonah, what do you do? I, I do whatever God tells me to, to say. Well, how's that working out for you, Jonah? I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And then after he finishes his coffee and we talk about all those sorts of stuff and as he gets up to leave, I can imagine Jonah telling me what I want to tell you. That when I look at the book of Jonah and I see nothing but grace over and over and over again, it's almost as if I can see God saying, God never gives up. That's the lesson I think Jonah learned. It's the lesson I think I learned as I've gone through this book is that God never gives up on people like us. And when you give up on someone that's hurt you, and when you can't forgive yourself for things maybe you've done in your past or things you will do in your present or future, you remember God gives you the power to forgive. And you can forgive just like he's forgiven you. I want to give you some practical steps today before, before I let you go. All right? Some practical steps that I think um, we can apply to your life. Um, first of all, first of all, make a list. Uh, make, make a list of people that have wronged you. I wonder how long that list is. <laughs> but don't show it to anybody else, but just, you know, get along in your prayer closet, just you and God, and just make a list of people that have wronged you or your family. And if you've been harboring um, unforgiveness, um, bitterness in your heart, maybe because of family members or people you work with, maybe even people you've been in church with at various seasons of your life, maybe you've uh, been wronged by pastors, or by other ministers, just make a list of people that have, have, that have caused you grief and pain and just be honest with yourself and with God. Just make a list of who these people are. And then I want you to do this. Uh, clear your conscience. You know, ha have a moment where you confess to God and, and then if need be, even the offender, that they've hurt you. And, and, and just, just get along with God and just have a time to clear your conscience. Jesus taught that we should deal with offenses quickly. He gives us a, a, a means of doing that over in Matthew's Gospel. But, um, you know, we can't control a lot what happens to us, but we really can't control how we respond to it. So, so clear your conscience. Step number three, thank God. <laughs> this is tough. Thank God for each person that's wounded you. There again, this is tough. But God's used that person to humble you. And I'll admit, there's been some times I didn't like being humble that way. But thank God for the people that's wounded because... You know, God uses them to mold you more into his image. The Bible says in everything we are to what? Give thanks. So you might offer a prayer to God that goes like this. God, I, I don't really fully understand why I've been hurt, but I'm going to trust in you, and I'm asking you to help me give thanks for this person because they've hurt me deeply, but still help me to love them, help me to be like you. I thank you for them and for using them in my life. Here's what I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to give thanks for the sins that they did against you. But I, I am asking you to give thanks for the fact that God is bigger than their sins. 
and he can take what they meant for evil and turn it into good. So, so can't read it that way. I can read it this way. Make a list. <laughs> Clear your con- It's called getting old, people. I can't read that in the screen there. And man, that's big font too, Robert. But make a list. Clear your conscience. Thank God. Number four, choose to forgive. As Christ has forgiven you, you, know, you ought to fully forgive the one that's offended you. Make a commitment to forgive them and then clear, clear it, you know, let it go. And then last but not least, you know, focus on rebuilding relationships. Confirm your Christian love to that person by not giving them what they deserve, but giving them grace and giving them mercy as well. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, um, I really like more exciting messages, messages that, um, that are really upbeat this has kind of been serious, and I guess that's how you wanted it today. You wanted to do a work in our hearts because I wonder how many of us might be harboring feelings of bitterness and hardness and unforgiveness. And maybe it's unforgiveness to a father or to a mom. Maybe we're harboring unforgiveness in our hearts because of a child or spouse, or a church member, or a coworker, or even a friend. And if I'm stepping on any toes this morning, my church family, I'm stepping on my own. We don't need to be holding on to that unforgiveness. It's just going to be like a worm eating at you, and things are not going to be right with you and with others and with God until you let it go and move on. So, Father, um, help us to do just that. Um, Lord, I pray that right now in the hearts of those that are here, if there's feelings of um, bitterness or unforgiveness that we have in our heart towards a particular person, Lord, I pray that we'll just say that person's name out right now in our hearts to you, and you will help us to forgive them. You empower us with the ability to forgive. So, Lord, help us to do just that. Help us to be like you and to forgive that person that's wronged us. Help us to forgive that person that's hurt us. Help us to be able to move forward from our past so that we can embrace what you want to do in our life today. Father, um, so, so thank you for, for this privilege of, of hearing you speak into our life today. Lord, help us to deal with this subject. Help us to be givers of grace instead of holding feelings of bitterness and resentment in our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand to your feet.